This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're having a fantastic summer. It's been so fun to get some of your comments this summer. I hope you're also getting some time away and maybe listening to this podcast as you're sitting by the beach, sitting by the pool, maybe hiking up an awesome mountain. Whatever you're doing, I just hope you're having a great summer and thanks for tuning in. This particular episode is going to be a special one because I've got three young emerging leaders from Gen Z that have done incredible work. There's all kinds of conversations out there about how to get more people from the Gen Z generation involved with your nonprofit. And so today, I think you'll want to lean in because these three guests not only will really inspire you from what they're doing, they have all started their nonprofit organizations while they were teenagers, and they're continuing to lead them as they go into college. But I asked the question, how should nonprofit leaders both recruit and retain people from Gen Z? whether it be volunteers or staff members. And you're going to really want to lean into what they have to say because they have some great answers for us. Again, my guests today are Sienna Nazarian, Robbie Hazan, and Dylan Zajac. Each one of them were awarded recently the Diller Takun Olam Award winners. I'll explain a little bit more on the show what that means. And they're going to tell us all about what they're doing and how we can better recruit people from Generation Z. Enjoy today's show. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Hello, listeners. I know that you love listening to podcasts, and I'm sure you love it when your nonprofit grows. But do you always know how to get the funding you need to grow your nonprofit? Well, be sure to check out our friends over at the podcast, Grant Writing and Funding, to find out how to grow funding for your nonprofit. Again, just look up Grant Writing and Funding Podcast on your podcast player to increase your grant writing skills and learn how to run a successful grant writing business. You can also check out a free grant writing class at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Well, welcome everybody. I have three very special guests today on the show. Today, I'm excited to feature each one of you, Sienna, Robbie, and Dylan, not only because you represent Gen Z as emerging leaders, but specifically you're doing some fantastic work, which we're going to get into today, that has been recognized as part of what I'm learning is the Diller Takun Alam Awards, which we'll go into. Just real quickly, for those who are not familiar with those awards, young people have the power and the passion to create ripples of good and repair the world is what the Takun Alam Awards are all about. And each year, the Helen Diller Family Foundation awards up to 15 Jewish teens with $36,000 each for their leadership efforts in order to change the world. So from the environment to social justice to access to education beyond, these young people are tackling big challenges in their communities and having a tremendous impact. So I'm so glad to have the three of you on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. They're all calling in from different cities, LA, Boston, 
and Hoboken, New Jersey, I understand. So great to have you each. And uh, let's start with you, Robbie. Robbie's been on the show. You may recognize Robbie Hassan from a couple of years ago, actually. And he was already talking about KiddoBite, the organization that he started. But you got this award, Robbie, and you went to MIT. You are at MIT right now, as I understand. But you started a nonprofit that focused on free coding classes with underprivileged kids worldwide. You went in person to Kenya and funded a uh, computer lab and taught actually there for two weeks. And you're now pivoting to more sustainable and automated structure while still teaching online in Kenya and in Ukraine, which is kind of cool. So maybe start again telling us, how did you and why did you start KiddoBite in the first place? Yeah, so KiddoBite all started because I was simply just teaching my little sister how to program on Scratch. And that was, yeah, three years ago now, which is kind of crazy. Because that love for teaching my sister and seeing her light, you know, her face light up when she got her program working and could be proud of it, uh, that really fueled me to expand to teaching children in my area outside of just, you know, my family. And then that began to expand and I noticed that it was probably an opportunity for something a lot greater. And I wanted to expand and teach at homeless shelters and, and then connections grew and and actually, you know, community can be very supportive when you're trying to do good. And so that it became easier and easier to make bigger and bigger impact, as you mentioned, in Kenya, Ukraine, and so on. That's great. Well, a good work again. Always impressed at such a young age starting this and, and really expanding it now worldwide. What have been some of the biggest challenges as you've tried to grow KiddoBite? Yeah, so I think KiddoBite has sort of faced two phases. And within those phases, different challenges. At the beginning, it was getting enough really high quality instructors to not only teach you know, coding at a high level, but because that, that's important to be able to teach the you know, correct things and have quality, have quality actual content. But the biggest struggle at the beginning was finding teachers who teach it in a fun way. Because at the end of the day, the mission of KiddoBite is to excite children about computer science. Our goal is to reach a more young audience, to get them to get them really excited at that early starting point. So that way, you know, we're, 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 we're hopefully proving to these children that they can indeed learn computer science, no matter what stereotypes they may have inherited just from society, being there to disprove those and then show kids that this is something that is really fun, unlike a lot of stereotypes that computer science is boring. And then you can take that and hopefully they'll actually be willing to take more advanced, more rigorous coursework in the future like in their schools. So that was the first, that was definitely the first challenge. And now actually it's been raising money. We have bigger, bigger ambitions. And of course, fundraising is a big, is a big bummer. Yes. You know, you speak the language of every nonprofit leader. That's always the issue, right? Fundraising. At the end of the day, nonprofits need funding to continue. No matter how good of an idea you have, no matter what kind of vision you have, you need funding to keep your vision alive. So we'll come back to that in a bit. Let's move to Sienna. Sienna, I understand you started the Refugee Empowerment Project, or REP. It provides refugees, asylum seekers, and immigrants globally with the resources they need to prosper on their own. Talk a little bit more about it. Give us more specifics. What do you actually provide through REP? REP. Yeah, so we like to say that we provide a holistic response to the needs of those we serve, and we do those through our various programs. So the first of which is our English mentorship program, which is now expanded to into a much more broad mentorship program. It started with a curriculum we developed alongside a certified Spanish teacher, and we created English lessons. But it's called a mentorship program because we wanted to place an emphasis on not only breaking linguistic barriers, but breaking physical and social barriers. But that program has now 
expanded beyond language learning. And we have a pen pal program. We even just have hangouts just to foster social interaction, as well as tutoring in various subject areas. Our other program is community orientations. So that's where we help resettling refugees by introducing them into the communities in which they'll be living. So we'll show them around notable places in their community. We'll provide them with lists of essential information and contacts. And we even created a list of teen slang, as we realize this is something that's completely overlooked, yet plays a big role in a sense of belonging and community that a lot of young people resettling often don't get. And additionally, we have an advocacy council, which is where we develop and establish campaigns and policies that demand changes to government systems. And it's often just advocating for certain needs for refugee asylum seeker and immigrant communities. In addition, we have a lot of programs. So That's impressive. Uh, way to go. Good job. We That's why the best way we were able to encapsulate what we do is through a holistic response because we try to serve this, this community's needs through all different angles. So the next angle is mental health. That's a big issue within this community. And whether it's through our awareness campaigns or more recently, we had a mental health conference that we put on where we provided refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers from across the nation with access to therapists and providers that specialize in PTSD and refugee PTSD. We're working on expanding that program to connect therapists with refugees seeking trauma support on a more frequent basis. And lastly, just overall, we already touched on how important fundraising is. We have an ongoing fundraising and drives initiative, and we've always tried to have a very creative approach when it comes to that. So we did a collaboration with this local cookie company where we created a custom menu and did deliveries to people's doors across LA or a collaboration with this brand, sustainable clothing brand called Social Seclusion. And we designed a clothing line to raise money to sponsor child-friendly spaces for Venezuelan refugees that have fled to Colombia. So that was a mouthful, but we really tried to approach the needs of this community from all different angles. No, very impressive again, just like Robbie, just doing great work and again, impacting people all over the world. I'll ask the same question I asked Robbie. What has been the biggest challenge? You mentioned fundraising events and the other things. Anything else that stands out as you are trying to grow this and build this has really stood out as your biggest challenge? Yes. So I started this organization as a high schooler. I'm now a rising college student. And I think, honestly, running an organization that's entirely staffed by other students, juggling academics and what some would consider like it feels like a mini career. I think that really has been challenging, but also from the beginning, the setup of our organization heavily relies on partner organizations because as an organization basically entirely run by teens, we needed access to the refugee, asylum seeker, and immigrant communities we wanted to serve. And that meant that we needed to convince much larger, more established organizations that have caseworkers that oversee these families to trust us with providing access to those families they oversee and allowing us to provide our programming. So I think establishing our credibility as a bunch of high schoolers, especially some were middle schoolers, was very difficult. And it took a lot of convincing and proving ourselves and just conveying that we really are here to make an impact. And I think that we ended up turning that challenge into our biggest weapon because being young provided us with a fresh perspective and a sense of empathy that allowed us to understand the needs of young people that those bigger organizations were kind of overlooking. Well, Dylan, let's go into you. You started Computers for People. Yeah, definitely. And thank you again for having me. 
I started back when I was a sophomore in high school. My friends and I used to go around to different thrift shops around Brooklyn, New York, and pick up old computers and monitors, take them back to our house on the subway, and fix them up and sell them on eBay and Facebook Marketplace. Through this venture, which was pretty successful, I saw that all these companies and individuals didn't know how to properly get rid of their old IT equipment. So they would end up in landfills. They would go to these thrift stores. I saw that. And then I was talking to my stepmom one day who worked at a nonprofit in Flatbush, Brooklyn. She told me how dozens of her clients in need don't have access to computers and they needed them in order to apply for federal benefits, to apply for a job, for, to go to school even now. Right? And this was back like 2018, 2019, before COVID. Um, so this, I got all, the, you know, I had these different ideas going. I was like, wait, what if I could just take all these computers from individuals and companies, refurbish them and donate them to people in need? And that's where Computers for People started. And from there, I just built it up as a nonprofit, you know, got the domain names, created a board, uh, started messaging people on Facebook Marketplace to, hey, you should donate it instead of selling it. And that's where the first couple donations came in. And then have been growing it ever since. And now we're at about 10 full-time employees. And we donate over 100 computers every month. And we now run a bunch of different programming. We do computer literacy classes. We do computer building classes for teens. We provide free internet. And we get people signed up for ACP, which is a federal benefit where people can get free internet. So we're covering all of the digital divide within computers for people now. That's incredible. And all while you're going to college, is that correct? Yes, I'm a junior in college. All right. <laughs> and you've raised over $1.5 million, I understand. Is that correct? Yes, wow. mostly through federal grants, foundation grants, especially through you know partners like the Diddler, Diddler Foundation. So yeah. Well, that's super impressive. You're very humble about it. But I tell you what, you know, for anyone listening, I have a, my audience is primarily nonprofit leaders. Fundraising is hard. The fact that you're going to college and you're doing this and you're raising $1.5 million, however you do it, you know, through private foundations or you know, government grants, that's a lot of money. Good job. Congratulations. Very impressive. Thank you. Well, now I'm sure you still have challenges too. You've done really well. And just like I asked the first two, what have been your challenges up to this point? And what do maybe you anticipate are some of the biggest challenges coming down in the future? Yeah, I think one of the biggest hurdles when getting started was taking a project and an idea and turning that into a sustainable business or nonprofit. That's probably the biggest thing. I'm sure if, you know, this is a nonprofit leadership podcast. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are starting nonprofits. They're at that phase where they're raising, you know, maybe tens of thousands. But how do I get to the point where I have staff and it's running full time? It's not just a passion project. It's actually sustaining itself, you know? And getting to that point is the hardest possible thing to do. And I'm not, I don't think I'm even there yet. Like, you know, if, if I were to leave right now, would Computers for People still run? That's kind of the biggest question. And we're almost there. But I think we're going to get there soon. And that all comes down to funding. That comes down to structure and the need of your programs in the community you're serving. So That's awesome. Well, good. And we'll get into some of those other challenges here in a second. But yes, good job on that. Okay. One of the things I do want to just state at the very front, I mentioned this in my outset, each of you are doing great work. And what I love about that, number one, you're really making a difference. It's inspiring to others. And there is, for some, 
not everybody, but for some, there's this myth of the Gen Z generation, right? Unfairly, I would say. There are those that are underestimating, even disparaging this generation. The naysayers out there say Gen Z is coddled, short attention span, and maybe even lacks resilience. But each one of you blow out those stereotypes out of the water. Why is it you think that some people have such a wrong impression of your generation? And Dylan, maybe we'll start with you and then go to Sienna and then Robbie. I, I think that in all generations, there are people that are coddled and there are people, you know, that are exactly what you're saying. But it's probably just because social media and the digital age where it's publicized more, where you see, you know, all these kids that are just like you know, doing crazy stuff online and all the adults are, you know, these, these kids are coddled. They're not doing anything in the world. I think it's the same in all generations. It's just, way more publicized now. Okay, that's great. All right, Sienna, what would you say to that? I was going to say that I think our generation has like a lived experience that's unlike any other generation due to the presence of social media and living in this information age. And I think it's often hard for other generations to grasp so it can lead to misconceptions. I think, you know, social media is maybe dominated by our generation. And I think it creates this facade that we're very self-obsessed or shallow because there definitely is a shallow nature to a lot of these platforms. But I feel like in reality, it, like it means that our generation is consuming content at a rate that is unlike any anything anyone's ever witnessed before. And so it means that we're able to connect with global issues right from our phone and on a smaller scale, just connect with other humans. So I actually think it's giving us a meaningful and a great capacity for empathy, to gain empathy for the lived experiences of others. So yes, I think, so I kind of think it's the opposite. I think it people think social media fosters a lot of shallowness, I guess, and maybe it does, but I also think it can provide us with so much at our fingertips that no other, no other generation has had before. Yeah, well put. I appreciate you saying that. All right. And Robbie, what would you chime in to say to this question? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really, good, really good point. I think it's interesting that both ads just have, you know, included social media and I'm inclined to, Agree. I think. I think that it's it's sort of interesting when we're thinking about how teens in our generation are, you know, some, some would say are like less motivated or something. And I think. I think that there is, as Dylan said, there's a piece to it where you know every every generation has 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 different people with different motivation types, and I'd also agree with Sienna that it's sort of like this more black and white thing now where. We have access to a tool that really either makes or breaks you, where you can kind of use it for good or let it consume you. And so I think that the difference is, is probably that we reward a lot more of that shallow behavior now. So it is more publicized. But I think if you can stay above it and instead just decide that you're going to work harder and, and use tools for your benefit, then you can actually make a much bigger impact. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. That is www.donorbox.org. 
Hello, listeners. I know that you love listening to podcasts, and I'm sure you love it when your nonprofit grows. But do you always know how to get the funding you need to grow your nonprofit? Well, be sure to check out our friends over at the podcast, Grant Writing and Funding, to find out how to grow funding for your nonprofit. Again, just look up Grant Writing and Funding Podcast on your podcast player to increase your grant writing skills and learn how to run a successful grant writing business. You can also check out a free grant writing class at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. I like it. Well, good. No, thanks for answering that question. So, okay, as I mentioned before, my listeners primarily are nonprofit leaders, many who run nonprofit organizations. They perhaps oversee staff at a nonprofit, maybe in a development role or a management role, program director role. What advice would you give them when it comes to how both to recruit and to retain Gen Zers to their nonprofit organizations? Perhaps, Sienna, you could start with this one. Yes, I think from for our organization, it was really important for us to build a team that was teen run because we wanted to provide direct service to other refugee asylum seekers and immigrants that were our age. So I would say from a recruitment standpoint, finding the right channels to reach like your target demographics. So for us, TikTok, Instagram, word of mouth recruitment through high schools and, and universities. For us, what that ended up manifesting into was this ambassador system we created. And it was broken into local, national and global ambassadors. And that meant that these ambassadors were spreading the word on our work through social media and their schools. And I think Gen Zers being approached by other Gen Zers was key because having your messaging come from other Gen Zers kind of creates this like sense of shared values and empathy. And when it came to retaining volunteers, we we have an interview process where we interview all of our volunteers and provide them with the education on the issues that we're addressing. I think making your volunteers feel just as involved and connected to the issues you want to address will help keep them there because as cheesy as it sounds, I think the key to finding volunteers that will stay is finding passionate volunteers because those are the type of people that will go above and beyond and stay with you through all the challenges. Oh, I like that. Robbie, what would you say to that in terms of how to recruit and retain Gen Zers to their nonprofit organizations? Yeah, definitely. So our team actually grew to like over 60 volunteers at one point. And yeah, this ranged from high schoolers of all ages, actually up until much, you know, even older volunteers. But for the younger generation, you know, that, that younger aspect of the team that I had built, I think that one of the large parts was, as Tiana mentioned, having the right funnels. But really, like, you'd be surprised at how much, like, people want to help, especially high schoolers that have more time, are looking to diversify experience, take leadership roles. And so when you offer an opportunity, especially coming from a standpoint of being another high school or doing something cool, a lot of, a lot of high schools, you'd be surprised, like take that, take that chance and, and want to help out. And so you end up with an, over, an overflow of volunteers, in my opinion. And my opinion on how to find like really high quality volunteers, those that will stick with you and make a massive impact in your organization is to leave a culture, offer a culture that definitely allows for and promotes initiative. So for all those volunteers to kind of take a step forward on their own, to take, take leadership roles, to ask, for, you know, ask you and feel comfortable asking you for more responsibility, uh, that's kind of how you'll be able to see who is in this for 
the long haul, who, who sees and really believes in the mission. Other kids just want to help and that's wonderful. And they, you know, they want to teach and, and, and help out, but some people will, will kind of take that initiative. So having a culture like that, not only will help you find great volunteers, but then will help you retain them. Because if you are giving people the freedom to make their own impacts, to act out of their own, you know, leadership styles and so on and, and take it with themselves, I think that's a great way to get, to continue to have people contribute and stay loyal. Yeah. No, good. No, very helpful. All right, Dylan, what would you do to chime in on this one? Huh. Well, I think Robbie and Sienna have way more teens involved with their program and they did a much better job than me, like getting people, teens around them and involved. I remember when I was in high school, like I wouldn't, like almost no one from my high school even knew about computers for people. And like just a couple of them, like my friends, I would have them come and help me refurbish computers ever so often. And one of them had a driver's license, so he would he helped me like drop one off. <laughs> but other than that, we never had like a process to recruit teen volunteers until we started like we got an office and then we had a space for people to just refurbish computers. And we put it out on this platform called Charity Quest to recruit volunteers. And it was like any age, because I was like 16. So I was like, hey, anyone can volunteer. And we got tons of, you know, youth volunteers that came in and were just passionate about technology and wanted to learn more about computers. So they came in, we just like gave them a desktop and said, hey, here, fix it. <laughs> we'll show you what to do. And yeah, we've retained quite a few younger volunteers. Like one of them joined three years ago now, like he was a freshman in high school and now he's a senior and he was an amazing volunteer that we actually brought on as an intern each summer. So now he's, you know, paid and runs these computer building classes. So it's, it's cool trying to see what people are interested in and pushing them towards those different fields where they can really make a big impact, as Robbie was saying. Well, nice work. No, it's great. Helpful. Thank you, all three of you guys, giving some good insights. I think it's one of those things for a lot of leaders who are trying to diversify their staff and really recruit this next generation. More and more, they're going to lean into this kind of advice because I think it's so important to perpetuate your mission and your nonprofit. You've got to get the next generation in there to get people excited to recruit volunteers. So well said. All right. Now, as we think about the greatest challenge facing your generation, I want to get it straight from you three. What do you think are some of the greatest challenges facing your generation as you look into the future? And Robbie, maybe you'll start this tone. Sure. Yeah. So this is a question I've been asking myself. We hear so much on the news about like specific problems in the world. We have like climate change and so on. And, and there's just so much there that like it's I can't pinpoint like one specific like end all be all necessity. Good news is we have so many people in our generation like Hopefully with enough passionate people, we, we, can, we can tackle those issues and, you know, having different people focusing in on like, what they care about. So as a generation as a whole, I think our biggest, our biggest challenge now is to have enough people to do that and to have people who are not only passionate about the issues, because we have so many people who are, but also to prove to ourselves as individuals that we can do hard things and then pick right now in these formative years as a generation and as individuals, what are the hard things that we want to actually apply ourselves towards? And, and then taking leadership roles and learning how to motivate others. I think all of this is super, super important to making a massive impact. And I guess saving, saving the world, right? We're facing like massive, massive issues. 
So if you, if you zoom out on that macro scale and kind of take the combination of everything we're facing, I think that as a generation, our, our biggest challenge now is to develop, to, to learn, to become equipped with the styles of leadership and action that will make an impact in whatever form that takes. No, good. Well said. Okay. What big challenge do you see your generation facing, Sienna? Yeah, well, I actually, I think Robbie said something really similar to what I was thinking. I really resonated with his answer because I feel like we, our generation is inheriting, inheriting these pressing problems that haven't been addressed by the generations before us. I think the biggest one that comes to mind is primarily climate change. I think it just places a heavy weight on our shoulders as a generation when we have to be concerned about having a future on this earth as a generation and for subsequent generations. But I also hope that, you know, we as a generation carry ourselves with the concern and responsibility to address these issues. No, well said. No, I think climate change definitely pops up quite a bit, you know, both the media. I've had multiple people on my show. Uh, in fact, just recently I had an interesting nonprofit you may be interested in, maybe familiar with, that are dealing with refugees that are caused by climate change. The climate yeah, change is climate actually, refugees. yeah, climate refugees. Exactly. It's kind of almost a new term now. So that is a real issue. Dylan, any other thoughts that come to your mind in terms of what you think about some of the challenges facing your generation? Yeah, I, I would say one of the biggest things that I've seen, because like, there's, there's all these different issues, as Sienna said, climate change is, is massive. But it's really like, how do we, like, I, I always try to think like logically, like, how do we fix these problems now? And one of the biggest things in order to fix those problems is just having people all come together and, you know, say, yes, that is the right action item and we should pursue that. And that all comes down to having an open mind. So, I mean, I try to always keep an open mind when like listening to other people, hearing different thoughts from communities and people all across the world. But if we can all have an open mind and really see the issues in front of us, then I think we can tackle those biggest challenges, whatever they might be. Good. I like it. Well, for those who are listening and maybe want to find out more about your nonprofits that you've started or just get to know you a little bit better, how best can they reach out to you? And I'll let you each give an opportunity, Robbie, Sienna, then Dylan. Yeah, definitely go on the website, Kidobyte. That's with a Y, K-I-D-O-B-Y-T-E dot org or Instagram and LinkedIn. You know, same same handle. Definitely reach out, get involved. My email is Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E at kidobyte.org. So feel free to reach out. Awesome. Sienna. Similarly, our Instagram is at Refugee Empowerment Project. Also, that's the handle for YouTube. We also have a newsletter, which you can sign up for through our site and stay updated on our work and if issues pertaining to the refugee community. Our website is refugeeempowermentproject.org and LinkedIn as well. You can find us on LinkedIn. Excellent. Good. All right. Last but not least, Dylan. Yeah, if you happen to have any computers to donate, you can go to computersforpeople.org. Or if your nonprofit uh, happens to have clients that are in need of a computer, you can also go to computersforpeople.org and we can try to provide some computers. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, Dylan, Robbie, Sienna, thank you for what you're doing. Congratulations on this award again. And thanks for taking time out to share a little bit more about your generation and all the good work you're doing. Thanks, Rob. Thank you very much, Rob. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for your time today. 
Hey friends, well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business.